Hey Rebels, I think it's fair to say if you're listening to this podcast, you're interested in the craft beer world locally and globally. In the last few months, we've seen a lot of big changes in the provincial, federal, and national landscape when it comes to the craft beer industry. Today we're going to be talking about the things directly impacting the Saskatchewan scene, and what it means for brewers and craft beer fans. When we're digging into these kinds of issues, it only makes sense to bring in one of the people standing at the front of the movement for change. Today I've got Mark Heisey, President and CEO of Rebellion Brewing, and he's going to help me break it all down. Mark, welcome to the show. Right on. Happy to be here. How's it going? It's uh, fantastic. It's, uh, it's Monday and we're, we're making beer and we're going to drink some beer. So, hey, seems like a pretty good Monday to me. So let's just start off, easy question, where's your head at in the world of craft beer? What have you been thinking about lately? I think about lots of stuff. Uh, my head, I never shut off my brain. I'm always trying to think about the next thing, what the next obstacle might be, what the next challenge might be, what the next opportunity might be. The great thing about being in Saskatchewan is that there's, we're still just really getting started. So the opportunity list is massive and it's just a question of how to overcome the, uh, the hurdles and challenges that pop up on a daily, weekly basis. And they come fast and furious and that's just part of what I love about doing this job. If you could pick one thing in the Regina scene for craft beer that you've focused on lately, what would that be? The biggest thing on my mind right now is um, ensuring that there's going to be uh, sustainable growth in our industry. There's a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. Um, I always say I want to make sure that I'm here 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and all my friends are here and we're all doing really great things for this province. So number one on my mind uh, really is a lot of the advocacy work, um, working with the provincial government, the federal government, uh, local, uh, local folks here at the city, as well as with the newly formed uh, Canadian Craft Brewers Association, which I think we're gonna talk about as well. So all of that stuff is linked together. And um, you know, we do a lot of work on our own. We chart our own path, we're rebellion. We, we lead with our chin and this and that, but um, you got to make friends and find find some uh, some common ground that you can work with other people on as well. One of the things um, we've been talking about lately is distribution models. Um, when we're looking at the United States, they have a vastly different distribution model than us, and a lot of people they could just give their product to SLJ and just say SLJ, move it out on trucks at your pace at your leisure, away you go. But we deliver on our own trucks. Absolutely. So um, what's important to know, um, it's, we don't have enough time for it, is that every jurisdiction across Canada and the United States has completely different rules um, in terms of how a brewery can operate, how they can distribute beer. Um, what you're talking about is the, the three-tier distribution model in the United States. Um, and so, yeah, here in Saskatchewan, uh, up until 2016, when we, when we did lobby the, successfully lobby the government, uh, up until that point, the only option for distribution of beer in the province is through the SLGA and through their warehouse and all of their their means of doing that. Uh, and so we lobbied to allow self-distribution for, for local producers. And you know, we're, uh, we're a really big believer in that. So we, I always try to make it clear, we don't hate the SLGA. Um, the SLGA has a very important role to play in our industry and in its success. Um, but we feel that you know, no, the only people that can, that can truly take the best care of, of our product and ensure it gets into the, ha the right hands or the right people who know how to 
market our beer and sell our beer and ensure that it's treated properly and stored properly and sold fresh is us. And so that's why we really believe in the self-distribution model. And we've had, we've had huge success with that. People really appreciate it. They know that when they come into the store, they're going to get a fresh quality product. Um, it's been delivered by one of our staff in one of our vehicles. It's been well cared for. We've got relationships with those stores, all that sort of stuff. Again, it's not a knock on the SLGA. Um, it's no different than you know the mailman that delivers your Amazon package. He, he doesn't know what's in that package. He doesn't know where it came from. If he drops it, he doesn't know or care. Um, totally different mindset as to when you actually have your own people out doing that. And it's, it's a great Saskatchewan thing, you know, when, when we roll into small town Saskatchewan with uh, the big, the big uh, bright truck, you know, um, it's a big deal, you know, it's recognizable, it's hard not to miss. And, you know, a lot of these small towns, they don't get a whole lot of love from a lot of people. So um, you can tell it really strikes a chord. You know, I, I've been in that truck and we, we pull up into the gas station to get gas and like people are just jacked. Like we made their day that the beer truck rolled into town. Um, <laughs> that's cool. That's a pretty Saskatchewan thing. So that's, uh, that's, that's one thing that's really near and dear to my heart. I don't like to take, I, I really don't like to take a credit for a lot of things, but you know, that was something I was really determined to get approved. And, um, and we did that and it's, 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 it's worked well for everybody from us down to the consumers. One of the things you touched upon that I wanted to circle back to was the handling of a product and the freshness. We've really been hammering on the packaged on date being on the can. So you can look at the can when you're in the store and know exactly how fresh it is. There's no guesswork, there's no, well, it might be good. What drove that decision? Exactly. So we're really big on transparency, giving people clear information. We want consumers to make informed decisions. And so, you know, I've been, I've obsessed over packaging dates for years. Um, I used, there used to be websites that would help you decipher all the gobbledygook that other breweries put on their cans and you'd have to like run it through some formula, um, you know, and some of it would be alphanumeric and all sorts of nonsense. And we said, we're just going to say when we packaged it, that's really clear, really to the point. They know how old that beer is, even a best before date gets a little loosey-goosey. Um, how do you know how it was stored, how it was handled? You don't know any of that. Uh, again, it's just, a, and it's a wild guess by the brewery. They don't know, they don't really know much about that either. So we put the package on date. Uh, it's clear, you don't have to decipher anything. And you know, again, we're handling the beer. We, keep, we store all of our beer cold. We, uh, we deliver it to most of, our, most of our retailers, keep the beer cold as well. And, and we also, because we're self-distributing, and we do lots of regular deliveries in a very short, uh, short distribution space. We only sell beer in Saskatchewan. So by doing that, um, we know that you know, beer isn't gonna necessarily sit around for months and months on end. We don't force our accounts to buy stupid amounts that they can't sell and is gonna go stale on the shelf like a lot of other breweries do. Um, that's just not our thing. Um, we, we, we believe in, you know, the just-in-time delivery model of, uh, of the supply chain management and we do a great job of it and, you know, we work all the time with the retailers to, uh, to, to keep that, that product flowing through. One of the other pieces we were talking about was you and I the other day we were talking about how we've seen a shift in local sales. Local craft beer sales are rising while imported macro ABN Bev Molson Coors sales are declining. What do you think is driving that? Exactly. So we put out an infographic on our social media a few weeks ago that showed that, you know, local craft beer, the sales of that is increasing, you know, dramatically while all other beer sales are declining. Um, I told the SLGA that that was going to happen. Uh, I first told them that about six or seven years ago before I even opened a brewery. Um, 
I think they were pretty sure that I was insane and completely out of my mind. And so last year they, they shared some numbers and admitted that no, it's, it's happening here just like I predicted. So um, I, again, I maybe took a little bit of satisfaction in being right on that. I'm not always right, but uh, I'll, I'll take credit for that one. Um, but yeah, so the, the shift, it's a global thing. It's a global, uh, th uh, it's, it's a whole idea. It has, almost has nothing to do with beer in a lot of ways. Um, it has to do with, with uh, young people in general, re rejecting the status quo, wanting to be a little rebellious. They don't want to drink or consume products that their parents did or that's viewed as old and uh, for you know old and outdated um, and they also ha don't have any um, they, they, they in general don't enjoy um, you know mass-produced uh, carbon copy just cheap generic slop that's not their thing um, and so the, you know you're re they're rejecting that and so you're seeing big brand names of all stripes it doesn't have to be beer it can be clothing it can be restaurants um, it can on down the line all sorts of food is uh, all of that stuff is becoming passe as more people uh, they want to know where their product came from. They want to know the people who made it. They want to know what goes into it. And they want to know what those organizations stand for. Um, you know, do you actually support local charities? Do you actually have an environmentally conscious uh, business? You know, are you, or do you take care of your employees? Uh, all that sort of stuff really goes a long ways in consumers' minds. And so the benefit of living in a small province like Saskatchewan is that word, word travels fast and it's word of mouth which is very, very powerful. And so many people are saying, hey, give Rebellion Brewing a chance, give some of these other small craft brewers a chance. They're my friend, they're my cousin, they're my relative. Um, I, I, we do business with these guys. They, they bought, you know, bought $400,000 worth of plumbing from us, you know, that sort of stuff. That's pretty powerful. That's a pretty easy way to, uh, to get a consumer to, uh, to start consuming local beer. So um, again, when I say it's, it's, it's a global thing that's been happening across around the world for a long time it's 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 hitting saskatchewan now and it's hitting in a big way and again i think it's it's uh we've just hit the tip of the iceberg because small small town saskatchewan you know what we you know we're a small population base um yeah word travels fast and so we're really excited with the what's in store for the future but to be fair it can't just be local for the sake of local it has to be good Absolutely. Uh, I think I trademarked that, or at least I, was, I first put that in print over 10 years ago. So this isn't some new concept I came up with. Um, so again, I'll, uh, wow, I'm taking credit for all sorts of things today. But yeah, I, hey, I said it. I put it in print 10 years ago. So I didn't see anyone else saying that at the time. But yeah, local, local for, for the sake of local is pointless. That's my tagline. Um, every business, even the terrible, awful ones that don't care about anything but the bottom line, they are local to somewhere. Um, that doesn't make them special. It just makes them jerks that happen to be from somewhere. Um, so yeah, so again, we, we work really, really hard. We want people to know who we are. We want people to know that we are out and about in the community. We're doing things, we're doing events, we're doing all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, and again, I always try to say it's more than just the beer, but hey, our beer, our beer is really, really good. And I'm not just pumping our uh, Rebellion's tires. I'm talking about a lot of the breweries in Saskatchewan right now. Um, they're winning medals on the, on the, the national scene. Nine Mile and uh, Nokomis just won some awards in Toronto. I was at that awards la last weekend. It was fantastic. You know, Blackbridge is making great beer. We got Pile Bones. We got a pile of breweries. I'm not going to name them all because if I miss one, then someone will be feel put out. But um, yeah, it used, uh, the best way I can put it is that when I, I used to I used to go in, on vacations and travel, I used to not look forward to coming home because there was not going to be any good beer to drink at home, and now. I actually look forward to coming home because the beer I'm trying is not as good. And I go to really, I go to a lot of places with really, really good craft beer. And I do try some good beers while I'm there, but I, try, I end up tasting a lot of really bad beers. 
and the quality on uh, overall in Saskatchewan is is very very high and you know I've talked with a lot of the other breweries around and they all feel the same way now um, we can't wait to get home and try our own beers um, again it sounds like we're tooting our own horns but we kind of know it's our job to know good beer that's kind of what we're about and yeah um, even even just being in Calgary recently um, again there are there's some very very good beer there but the beers I had just on the, the, the last trip not so hot not so hot at all it's like man I can't wait to get home and drink our beer <laughs> so sorry Calgary <laughs> make them jealous gotta up your game <laughs> maybe it's a reason for a bunch of expats to come back and drink some great beer exactly you know and we like we do we do like to brag we do like to toot our own horns a little bit you know and I think that's um, you know, again, I'll go off on a tangent here is that, you know, some people say, oh, Mark's too aggressive or rebellion brags too much or uh, they're arrogant. I don't like the way that they talk. Um, you know what? That's loser talk. And that's, that's, that's old school Saskatchewan. And it's great to be polite and, um, and reserved and all that. Those are very noble characteristics. But uh, if you want to be an entrepreneur and make some noise and put Saskatchewan on the map and be really proud of what we do, and generate something here instead of just being polite, quaint, sleepy old Saskatchewan where we all just, you know, hope that the government bails us out every time. Um, I don't want, I, that's not the life I want to live. And so, again, when we talk about leading with our chin, sure, we'll take the, the occasional flack from people that think we're jerks. <laughs> I'll happily take that because for every complaint that we get of that, we get, you know, 500 saying, we love what you're doing. Keep on, keep on doing that. Keep on fighting the fight. Keep on keep on leading, uh, leading out in front. And that, that feels really good, you know, again, and it's not about us trying to take credit or just saying we're willing to do it. We're willing to do it because we think it's important and it's not about lining our pockets. It's about making Saskatchewan better. Uh, it means a lot to us. I'm, we're, talk, we're from here. You talk a little bit about making Saskatchewan better. What impact is it having on farmers? Uh, well, again, it's huge. You know, it, it shines a light on, on what they're doing. You know, again, everyone knows Saskatchewan is the breadbasket of the world, this and that. Although a lot of folks don't even want to admit or haven't even considered that a lot of what we grow here is to make beer. Um, we, Saskatchewan provides the raw ingredients to make beer. And again, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And um, it's shocking how few people even know that or can wrap their heads around that. So, so just by shining a light on that and saying, look at what these farmers are doing. They're amazing. They're in our own backyard. And then for us to turn around and make award-winning beer that they can consume, um, I mean, that's a pretty sweet little ecosystem we got going. All that money stays here. And uh, it just creates that sense of pride and the idea that there's other opportunities and just being friends with your neighbors. You know, again, that's stuff that's really lacking in society today. Even if you live in the city, how many of you actually know your next door neighbor? Probably a lot of you have never even spoken to them. You may maybe wave to them once or twice. Um, but yeah, there's, there's value in that. There's value in community. And to be able to know some of these farmers or to know the researchers at the U of S that are developing uh, you know, uh, new crops, new lentils, new fruit that can grow here that we're making beer with, it's awesome. And you know, Ministry of Agriculture, they recognize the role that we play. Um, it's, it's exciting. It's a whole new era, you know, and obviously we're not, we, we're in the agri-value sector. We're just a small cog in that, but there's so much excitement right now even just in, you know, new technologies, all sorts of stuff. And to just be a part of that, um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of humbling, right? Because uh, like I say, I'm from Saskatchewan. My families all have uh, backgrounds in agriculture, but, you know, uh, my parents moved to the big city and I've kind of been removed from that for, you know, 30 or more years. And so it's really nice to get back to that again. That's what Saskatchewan's based on and that's what Saskatchewan's going to succeed on.
It feels like you're talking about bridging the divide between rural and urban. Maybe we don't have so many differences as people might like us to believe. Absolutely. You know, there's always that, that divide and it comes up at times in Saskatchewan here. But again, we're still small enough of a province that you're not that far removed. Um, and so again, another thing, when I was in Toronto talking with some of the other breweries, you know, across Canada, uh, our sales in rural Saskatchewan are, are astronomical and, and completely have blown my expectations here because, you know, all the data says that rural people don't drink craft beer because it's viewed as a big city hipster, you know, urbanite type thing, right? And they don't want to be associated with that. They don't feel that they're, they're part of that. They don't feel that sense of community there. Saskatchewan's small enough, just over a million people. Again, we can drive 10 minutes out of town and we're out in a farmer's field. And um, so they get that and they see the trucks roll through and it's like, wow, these guys must actually care about us. Maybe I will try their, their weirdo beer. And they say, oh, it's not that weird at all. It's delicious. And it's made with our crops. <laughs> it's a pretty easy sell. And so, you know, again, that's something I never, I did not expect. I didn't predict that one. Um, but it's been, uh, it's been pretty uh, rewarding and, and again, that, that feeling of satisfaction that we're obviously doing something right because we're selling a ton of beer uh, to these small towns. Well, today, Steph, this morning, she was just saying her mind is blown by the sales in Estevan. She yeah. couldn't believe Estevan was selling so much. Again, you know, we're just, we're just selling beer. You know, we're not, we're not saving the world necessarily with what we do. But yeah, when, when one of the retailers sends us just, just out of the blue, sends, hey, look at, all the, look at all the Rebellion beer we sold this weekend. And I mean, it was a significant, significant amount in Estevan, Saskatchewan. And you're just like, wow, that's, that's phenomenal. You know, it, it, it doesn't, we, we go a million miles an hour here. And so to, just to get a quick little note like that, unprompted, just from a retailer, it's just like, you guys are awesome. I don't know what you're doing, but everything you guys are doing is great. And it's clearly resonating with our customers. So, you know, there's still, there's still some retailers and naysayers in Saskatchewan, you know, across North America. Oh, craft beer is a fad. Well, it's not a fad. Something that's been growing for years and years and years is not a fad. Um, garbage like that Coors Light Slice or whatever putrid stuff that they put out this summer, that's a fad. No one will be talking about that garbage next year, but they'll still be talking about craft beer, real craft beer made by real craft breweries. I can guarantee you. <laughs> that's the way it is. <laughs> I haven't even heard of it, to be honest. Well, you don't need, yeah, exactly. You can take a wild guess. It'll be, it's garbage beer with, you know, extract flavoring and, <laughs> sh and sugar. <laughs> One of the big things is the feds just announced uh, a few weeks ago, they want to lower the interprovincial trade barriers for alcohol, but duh, it's a provincial jurisdiction. What, how does that impact us? Uh, well, this is, you know, it's been kind of stewing for a long time. You know, I've been well aware of the issues with the interprovincial trade on beer for a long, long time. Uh, I wouldn't say I know more than anyone else in Canada, but I, I, I have been, it's my job to be quite informed on it and the changes that are coming. You know, I think, again, from a consumer level, we always want to, uh, you know, to lower trade, any trade barriers, especially within Canada. I think, uh, you know, the average consumer doesn't understand that there are significant, significant barriers to moving beer between the provinces. So, you know, obviously um, there, there, there's definitely appeal in doing that. Um, and not that I'm, I'm certainly not hesitant about that. I think that that's fantastic and it's the right thing to do. And I've, I've, I've supported that for a long, long time. Um, but we do have to be careful in Saskatchewan as to how that gets rolled out, um, just to ensure that we don't get, uh, you know, 
run over by some of the bigger provinces that have way more advanced craft beer industries and are frankly looking for other uh, to develop into other markets that could uh, potentially you know hinder our growth and our success so i mean we are we are very successful we've got great uh, opportunities ahead of ourselves um and uh you know there's all sorts of great craft breweries across canada i'd love to be able to drink a lot of their beers um, I would say there's a lot of subpar breweries that are in way over their heads that are looking to dump cheap beer into our province. Um, what does that mean? Like, you guys talk about that from time to time, dumping of, of beer. What does that even mean? So in, the, in craft breweries, so it has, the, the growth has exploded in Canada. And a lot of people who weren't really, aren't really from the beer industry or maybe home brewers, um, but just happened to have a lot of money, decided to open breweries without much thought or care. They then realized how hard it is to actually make and sell beer. And they have a lot of what you call excess capacity. So their brewery is sitting around idling and they're losing money hand over fist. So to just keep the operation going is, and keep their staff employed is they will brew a whole bunch of beer and when we say dump it, they will just dump it into another province, just at, at basically at a loss or at cost, just to keep the brewery, just to keep the lights on. And so it's kind of a predatory thing. Um, and it just kind of shuts other people out of the market. And it, 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 again, I'm all for keeping beer prices as reasonable as possible, but there's really no benefit in this other than keeping an unsustainable brewery uh, continuing to operate. And so that's not always a great thing. Um, like if your tanks aren't full, you're losing money basically. Exactly. So, so again, we want, I would love to have great craft beer available here from across Canada. The great beer brewed in, that's being brewed in Canada right now is being gobbled up by their own province, by their own city, by their own neighborhood. So if you think that you're going to start getting Bellwoods beer on a liquor store shelf in Saskatchewan, like you're out of your mind because there's two hour lineups to get into their brew pub in Toronto. So changing, breaking down these borders is not going to change anything, but some garbage brewery um, that can't sell enough beer in their own province because it's not good beer. Yeah, they're going to try and dump it here. So you're saying a, maybe a more developed market where people are more discriminating. They have access to great beer. They just turn their nose up at mediocre beer. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's not the folks that are making great beer have no problem selling beer in their current markets. Um, sure, there's some that want to continue growing and want to get into other markets, but for the most part, the, the, a lot of the stuff that shows up on the shelf here from out of province is not very good quality beer, or it's old beer that they haven't been able to move, um, which again, does nobody any service. That happened to me a few weeks ago. I, was, I ran into the liquor store, I won't say which one, but I grabbed a bunch of singles and made kind of a pick-a-pack. And then I got home and I was like, ah, oh, crap, I forgot to check the package on or the expiry date labels. And I actually got a few stale dated ones that were over 12 months old. And I kind of was kicking myself. Exactly. I'm not telling people, you know, you should only drink local beers. Um, because, again, local for the sake of local is pointless. But freshness is really, really important in beer quality. So, um, you know, the best beer in the world that's past its prime or was stored warm for six months is not the best beer in the world anymore. Does that ever happen to you still? You accidentally grab a bottle that might be stale dated, or are you are you pretty on top of it? If it doesn't have a, if it's not a, if it doesn't have, if it doesn't appear to be fresh and it doesn't appear to be uh, stored cold, I just move on. I don't care what beer it is. I'm not interested. And that's no different when I travel, right? When I travel to other other places, I was just in Denver, Colorado, or Austin, Texas, this or that. If there isn't a freshness code and it's not fresh, I'm not buying it. I got better thing. I got better things to do. <laughs> Speaking of Denver beer, 
Uh, we're going to flip things a little bit. You brought me a beer from Denver. No? It's from Calgary. Oh, Calgary. Okay. <laughs> Which one is it? Uh, yeah, so I, I told you that I had a whole bunch of beers from Denver, but then I also slipped in one from Calgary, so I, and then we chose the Calgary one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this is from a brewery uh, called the Dandy Brewing Company. They're in Calgary, Alberta. Um, they've been around for a few years now. They started out as, I, I would think you'd call them a nano, um, which means very, very small. And uh, they've been making really small batches of really crazy experimental beers. Uh, again, the advantage of kind of being a nano is that you can be... Uh, you can be all over the place. You don't have to necessarily have a flagship um, or, or, or uh, have more mainstream beers. You're going to sell out, you know, a couple hundred liters of any weird beer you make. Um, but yeah, so they, they did do some expansion. They've got a tap room now. Uh, I've met them a couple times. I met them at a beer festival in Calgary a few years ago. And uh, they also popped, they came into Regina a few months ago and they dropped off some beers for us. So I think this one kind of would be their flagship. Um, but it's kind of a weird, it still is a weird beer. So, uh, it's called Dandy in the Underworld and it is an oyster stout. So, um, that maybe sounds weird to a lot of people, but, uh, so oysters, uh, used to be added to English stouts and porters. They thought it kind of would work as like a clarifying agent or like a preservation, this and that. Again, it's just kind of one of those things, um, before people truly understood science and research, they just thought it would be a good idea to add oysters. Um, anyways, for the most part, no one adds oysters to stout anymore, but now it's become this niche kind of cool, weird thing to add oysters back into the stout. So it's kind of neat, you know, it's not, it's not like it's like, got like some like, uh, you know, stale, uh, fishy aromas or anything like that. It's just, it just adds a, like a little bit of a hinty, salty kind of a briny thing, um, that in, in a, in a small dosage is, is kind of pleasant. It just adds the complexity of, of the stout. Like maybe like a playing off chocolate kind of thing where you have a little salt on top of a chocolate. Exactly. That's basically it. You know, they're not, they're not throwing in raw oysters. They get boiled, this and that. Like you're not going to get sick or you know, anything <laughs> like that. Um, so yeah, and they've got, I really love their aesthetic. It's got like, it's got this cool little oyster, or sorry, not oyster. It's got an octopus on it, but their aesthetic is like super cool. You got to check out their tap room. It's like just, it's phenomenal. Um, very, very unique. They got great artwork on the walls. Um, highly, highly recommended. They're fun guys. When they were here at Regina, they had a tap takeover at Beer Brothers, and they were also uh, DJing the music. And uh, and I accused them of stealing my record collection because all they were doing was playing my favorite songs off of my favorite albums. So um, they clearly have exceptional taste in music as well as making good beer. <laughs> well, let's have a taste. Sure. Cheers. Cheers. I don't have a wide frame of reference for oyster stouts. So I think I've only had one before. So yeah, I would call it, I, I mean, they would maybe have a different take on it. I would say it's kind of based on like a dry stout, which is typically how they're doing. Yeah. And they mentioned right on the bottle, light body, dark color and roasty pairs perfect with oysters and mussels. There you go. Um, so yeah, it's meant to be like a nice, easy drinking stout. Um, our oatmeal stout is a lot more uh, chewier and creamier. It's just a different uh, perspective on it. Um, so a dry stout is kind of based on an Irish style, kind of a Guinness take. Um, yeah. And then, so they're usually, like I say, they are thinner, a little lighter bodied and not that they're not as flavorful, but that's where adding the, the oysters can just, you know, just kind of punch it up a little bit more. Like I say, for the most part, it's just like a nice, easy drinking, basic stout, 5% alcohol. When I say basic, I'm not insulting it by any stretch. There's uh, there's absolutely a place for like just a good, simple, straight up stout. And this one kind of nails it. It's got a little bit of the fruity English esters going on. Um, dry and roasty without being acrid or burnt. Um, you'll notice that in some, some of the, it's really, it's a really tough balance as my wife and I were having a 
light discussion about this on the yesterday actually, but about it's it's really hard to strike that balance on a stout because they are supposed to be roasty but not burnt, right? Uh, they should ultimately be smooth, and uh, you know some that are overdone with either hot bitterness or just too much malt, it really, too much of the roasted malt, it just makes it very acidic. Um, I describe it as, you know, as like just sucking on charcoal or something like that. Like, like an ashtray? Yeah, an ash, like in an ashtray, that sort of thing. You wanna really avoid that, and that's a tough one. It's a tough one for brewers to wrap their heads around. That's where you get into the details. You gotta understand water chemistry and your pH and uh, other different, uh, different uh, stuff in, the, in, the, in your water profile. And um, understanding how to, how much there's definitely can be too much of a good thing. So we talk, usually you use chocolate malt, your know, roasted barley or black patent malt. There's all these different types of malts to make stouts and porters. You got to use the right ones in the right amounts, or it can get out of control in a hurry. I usually don't care for the drier stouts. I, it just doesn't flow with me. But this is pretty nice. It doesn't have that um, that lingering burntness um, it's rounded out enough there's a little bit of caramel flavor and then there's some of the the fruity esters i i think it's pretty well executed dry stout i'm yeah i'm digging it i don't drink a lot of dry stouts these days there just isn't many on the market and and um other than you know the guinness and i just have no interest in ever drinking that again the rest of my life but um do you get a little bit of licorice Maybe. Yeah, you can get a little bit of black licorice. I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't say if you hate black licorice, you shouldn't drink this beer. Um, but yeah, there's Very definitely some some. There, there's some complexity and some under, uh, underlying additional flavors, especially after you swallow the beer and then just kind of exhale, exhale and breathe in again. You kind of get that little extra aftertaste and lingering effect that's pretty awesome and fun in beer. Um, I, I when I used to really obsess about judging beer, I talk about the roller coaster. I want I want a roller coaster beer. Even a, light, even a lighter beer. I want it to be a roller coaster. I don't want it to just be like, yep, that tastes like orange. I want to like get like a hint of like some like fresh zesty stuff. I want to get into some pithy stuff. I want to maybe get a little bit of uh, earthiness or subtlety-ness or floral from, the, from a little bit of hop, you know. Maybe a little bit of a, of a fresh cut grass or some graininess or, or that kind of stuff. Maybe some hay or bread crust. Not just orange, 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 which is, you know, like an, an alco pop or something where it's just literally the flavor is sugar and orange. Um, that's not fun. That's not a roller coaster. That's just a, I'm just going to smack you in the face with some lame flavor. Some artificial sweetener. Yeah. So it's, it's so much more fun when you can say, hey, I got a hint of black licorice there. And you're like, yeah, I did. That's really cool. Um, I think maybe my brain was primed to pick up saltiness from the, you said oyster brine, mm -hmm. and just calling it an oyster stout, because the first few sips was like, oh, this is kind of salty on the finish. But as I get further along, I was, it's like, oh, maybe my palate's adjusting and it's not salty at all. So when I, whenever I think about beer or coming up with recipes, I always think about balance. The more, the more I, I don't know if I want to say mature I get, or the more I learn about beer, um, balance is an overused and, and misunderstood word, I think, but you're, you're, the idea is to balance everything in harmony and the idea that one plus one can equal three. So if you're going to add something with a bit of a salt or brine note in it, then you maybe need to back off on something else, or you maybe need to bump up, say, your crystal, crystal malt just to push the sweetness a little bit to kind of balance that out. I'm trying to balance flavors. Um, a real common uh, mistake I see is on the sour beers. So sour beers are already quite sour, quite acidic and then people are adding really sour, really acidic fruit to that. So now you're just amping up the sour, 
And it's not that you can't use sour acidic fruits in a sour beer, but you have to understand how you're going to balance and compensate for that. And otherwise, it's, it's going to have limited appeal. It's just going to feel like, you're, like it rips the enamel off your teeth. <laughs> and that's, that's, it's like you might as well just drink a glass of vinegar with a shot of vodka in it. Would you recommend people try this beer, or do, would you say one is enough for you? I think you should definitely try it. There's nothing to be scared about by, that it's called an oyster stout. It's very appealing. It's very balanced. It's, it's not intense or overwhelming. Uh, yeah. I've, it's got cool artwork on, the, on there. Yeah, go check it out. I don't know if the bottles are available anywhere in liquor stores in Saskatchewan, but you can definitely find it in Alberta. I think I've had dandies once before, and I, I don't remember. <laughs> they, were one of, they were one of the first craft, like uh, when the whole craft beer boom kind of started a few years ago, they were one of the first ones to get going in Calgary. And, you know, they've done a fantastic job, and it, they're always, they're quite off. When people say, where should I go in Calgary? Where should I go for a beer? You see tons of people are saying, go to Dandy, go to Dandy, go to Dandy. And, there's, and people are still saying it, which tells you the, the, the staying power and how good that they're, they've done. You know, there's, there's like 100 breweries now in Alberta and like 40 or something in Calgary. And uh, people always want to chase the latest and greatest thing, but people are still mentioning Dandies time and time again. So they're clearly doing something right. They've got the secret sauce. Absolutely. <laughs> well, in terms of Calgary to Regina, Saskatchewan, we see the formation of a Canadian Craft Brewers Association. What the, how did that happen? So that formation is long overdue to have a national association that actually represents the craft brewers in this country. Um, years ago, again, before I even uh, had any intention of opening a brewery, I was looking for such an association here. Um, so in, in the United States, their, their association is just called the Brewers Association. Fantastic organization. They do a ton of great stuff. And I thought, well, Canada must have the same thing. And I came across this uh, organization called Beer Canada. And I thought, oh, that's the group. Um, they're not. They're a lobbying group for the big breweries. Um, yeah, that's it. They're a partisan lobbying group. Um, I'm not fans of them. I argue with them a lot on social media. Tell them that they're full of it. Um, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> Weren't they the guys behind the axe, the tax Yeah, sure. Thing? Yes, they were, yeah. And they were taking out ads and all this stuff. And it was all just a bunch of... It was a... Uh, yeah, anyways, the whole axe the tax thing on the excise tax, just to be clear. So the excise tax is a tax that breweries have to pay to the federal government um, for the beer that they produce. And I'm not in favor of, you know, paying a bunch of extra tax to anybody, but they, they recently changed it that it's now indexed to inflation. So there is a small increase every year on federal excise. It literally amounts to a fraction of a penny on a pint. Um, so I don't really care about that. I've got much bigger uh, bills to worry about than fractions of pennies on a pint. But Beer Canada chose to use that as an excuse for why all of the big breweries keep jacking up their prices every year, um, blaming it all on taxes and you know just trying to give you all these confusing stats and metrics, trying to claim how much uh, taxation is, uh, makes up the cost of a pint of beer. And it was just a bunch of nonsense. Jordan St. John, he's an active beer blogger, beer writer. He kind of just shredded them. Yeah, if you look up Jordan St. John's blog, St. John's Wirt, um, he absolutely destroys their, their inane argument on that one. And uh, check that out if you're still interested in that. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, uh, I guess I'm really talking trash here and running down a lot of people. But anyways, I don't have much love for Beer Canada. Um, I have a lot more value for people that are willing to be honest and tell the truth and actually represent 
uh, our industry adequately. So yeah, so long story short, um, we now have a Canadian Craft Brewers Association. So very exciting. Um, I was made aware of this a few months ago and I was asked to participate in some focus groups on just kind of getting things up and going and kind of vision and values and all that kind of stuff. And so it was officially announced at the um, Canadian Brewing Awards in Toronto uh, last weekend there. So um, very exciting stuff to finally have an official organization. Um, again, it's really tough in Canada. We're spread out so far and we don't always, uh, again, with all the trade barriers that we have between provinces, it's a lot of times it's tough for the breweries uh, within each province to communicate with each other. And But there are national issues and things to be discussed and, and a lot of data, valuable data to be shared. That's what probably got me the most excited. So uh, we are members of the Brewers Association in the US and so we get access to all of this anonymous data that gets submitted annually. Um, so that it creates benchmarks and so that you know you can say okay a brewery of my size or a brewery that's been around as long as we have you know what's the average production and what's their what do their annual revenues look like and how many brewery staff do they have and what's their ratio of food sales to beer sales or off-site beer sales to, to, to brew beer that you're selling out of your tap room all that great stuff I'm I'm obsessed with numbers and spreadsheets so that that's right up my alley so for me, that's really exciting is that they're going to start collecting Canadian specific data. Uh, that's obviously going to take a, a while to build that data up, but um, that's critical to us. Helps us know where, where we are and where we're going. Um, because, you know, right, one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, we're kind of, at the end of the day, we're flying by the seat of our pants. Um, we really are creating an industry out of nothing here. And, you know, so it's sometimes it's hard to get real clear data. You know, are we doing good? Are we not doing good? You know what is what is the benchmark for staff? Do we have way too many or or not enough? Um, you know maybe there's things we should be doing on the process side that would help alleviate that. It's it's kind of the wild west. You kind of got to figure it out, and you make a ton of mistakes as you go along, and hopefully correct them and move forward. So having some more of that data will help us make better decisions and and grow in a in a more sustainable fashion. But it's not just about sustainability. It's it's also about pushing back against big guys, isn't it? Yeah, so again, like there's uh, the big breweries, uh, they, they're, they're well aware of us now. Um, you know, again, I remember hear, overhearing their, their sales guys, again, well before I even owned a brewery, sitting in, the, in uh, pubs in, in Regina here saying, oh, craft beer is a joke and it'll never work and all this stuff. Well, now they're seeing their bonuses, you know, effect, being affected and their commissions being affected by, by our growth. So they can't ignore it anymore and they're not going to take it. They're not going to take it uh, sitting down. They're not just going to, you know, sit back and let us take things over. They've got a lot of money and a lot of influence and a lot of clout. And so, you know, I wish that I could just sit around and brew beer all day and, and plug my fingers in my ears or shove my head somewhere. Um, but I don't want to do that. I have to be very aware that there are forces working against us <laughs> with a lot of, a lot of money uh, behind them. And if we're not going to try and defend ourselves, um, we're going to get we're going to be, uh, you know, made obsolete in an awful hurry. Um, big breweries hate craft beer. They hate, and they can buy, they buy up breweries and claim that they love craft beer and that's why they buy them. They buy them because they hate craft beer and they want it to go away so that they can go back to selling you cheap garbage and making tons of money. That's their whole reason for existing. And that's just the way it is. And so it doesn't mean that they change the quality of the beer from the breweries they buy. No, they don't, but that's not, that's, they don't buy them because they love those breweries. They buy them because they want us all to not exist. 
So again, that really feeds into why we need to have an organization, uh, a, a united national organization, because individually we will get squashed every, every step of the way. But um, I think there's about close to 800 breweries across Canada now. Well, that can create a pretty strong voice. So we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of catching up to do. And um, not that you know, doom is imminent, but the clock is ticking. We're behind it. We should have had this organization five, 10 years ago. Um, so we've got a lot of ground to catch up on. So say you're a consumer, say you're a Rebellion fan or Pile of Bones or whatever craft brewery. Say you want to support, but you're not sure. What's the best way for a consumer? I mean, we see the rise of these faux crafty beers. Uh, they're not independently owned. Well, yeah, you're seeing it nowadays, and it's so confusing for the consumer. It's confusing for us to even keep up with who owns what now and who sold out to whom and, you know, what garbage is being paraded as craft beer these days. Very, very, very tough to do in this day and age. And, you know, the fact is that most consumers don't think about beer as much as we do. So to make it easy, uh, in the United States, the Brewers Association came out with an independent seal that can go on bottles or cans made by truly independent breweries in the United States. And so this new Canadian association has, has uh, of course, seen the success of that and they've come up with their own seal that uh, you know breweries can now start putting on there. Again, just makes it real simple. It's a unique identifier. Does it have the seal? Yeah, you can buy that with confidence. You know that you're supporting an independent um, craft brewery in Canada that actually cares about what they're doing. And uh, the big multinational owned stuff won't be able to put that on their beer because it's not true. Multinational owned stuff? Zing. Multi, multinational. <laughs> I think I was just swallowing some beer there. I had a buddy who went out to the liquor store and he came to a party. He's like, oh, I bought all these brand new craft beers. And I'm like, I'm sorry to break it to you, man, but Molson Coors bought those guys out. And he, he was like crestfallen. But I'm like, don't worry, you're still part of the club. You're still part of the craft beer club. He so just, that, yeah, so he that's, just got fooled. That's exactly what's going on. And again, the big breweries want that. They don't want you to really know where anything came from. Even when they first came out with Rickard's Red, which has now become so passe, they can't even fool anyone with that garbage anymore. But it used to say that it was from, you know, the Rickard's Red Brewing Company. Well, that's not a brewing company. It was Molson. It's Molson. And they just were parading it around as this phony baloney beer, which was really Molson Canadian with food coloring added to it. And they fooled people for 20 years thinking they were drink, drinking this delicious quality red beer. Um, so that tells you how, what they think of you as a consumer. They think you're a moron that can be <laughs> duped, you know. Um, and no one wants to feel duped. And so, yeah, so to get back to your point, folks do want to try craft beer. Um, and, yeah, I, I totally get the, uh, uh, someone new to craft beer. They're going to go to a party. And you go and there's a wall now of, you know, hundreds of different beers to choose. That's pretty intimidating. And you don't want to choose the wrong one and be made fun of because you thought Granville Island was a good beer. Uh, you know, they're owned by Molson, by the way. Um, so, yeah, maybe don't bring that one to the party. Just saying. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I get it, right? It's an intimidating thing. So let, we're going to try and make it a little easier for folks so they don't get, they're not the butt of the joke at the party, right? We want everyone to think that they're cool and uh, having a good time and drinking delicious beer. That supports your local farmer, local industry. Exactly. <laughs> As a corollary to that, we're now seeing maybe like what they would call a stage three or stage four in the economic cycle for craft beer. Two of the biggest players in terms of U.S. craft beer, Dogfish Head and Boston Beer Company, a.k.a. Sam Adams, they just announced that they're going to be merging. What the hell does that mean? So again, United States is way more ahead in the craft beer uh, 
growth cycle. They really, things really got started to get started to develop in the 1990s um, in that in that sector, and then got really hot over the last 15 years. So they've had a ton of time to grow. Um, I remember, I can remember first drinking Sam Adams Boston Lager in December 1994 in Mesa, Arizona. So that's how long I've been drinking that craft beer for. And um, so they're a huge success, massive, massive breweries. But the real challenge there in the United States is that the market is very saturated. It doesn't mean that there's, that there's no growth or that craft beer is dead. It just means that there's so many breweries and people are so excited about what's going on in their local beer scene that if you're now in Mesa, Arizona, why would you choose Sam Adams Boston Lager when, you know, there's great breweries right there in your own backyard made by your friends and neighbors? Well, you're going to choose those ones time and time again. So there's, uh, with some of those great big national craft breweries, they've kind of hit their ceiling and a lot of them are seeing decreased uh, sales. And a lot of them have stretched themselves quite far because uh, they've been in these huge growth cycles. So they've, uh, they've accumulated a lot of debt taken on a lot of additional investment and you know it's not good or bad it's just the, the the reality of where they're at in their growth cycle it's kind of it's kind of maxed out so um so yeah so dogfish head joining up with sam adams sam adams has really struggled because um their founder is really against um new creative styles of beers he actually says he hates ipas um which is interesting because then they pathetically tried to put out a bunch of ipas the last few years which all failed horribly um which some of them may or may not have issues with uh, with our name, but that's neither here nor there. Um, that's that, I said that's that'll go in my book Shots when I'm fired. retired. That'll go in my book when we're retired when we're long retired. But anyways, they've 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 struggled to, uh, to 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 keep up with the times, and Dogfish Head basically created weird the whole concept of weird beers um, back in the in the late '90s. And they're still very, very popular. They've, they've been agile. They've come out with like session IPAs that people are going crazy over. Um, they've got a sour beer out right now called Sequench that people are losing their minds over. So it's Sam Calgioni, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And that, is he still involved with the company on a day to day basis or is he out? Yeah. No, he still, he still runs Dogfish Head Brewing and he's going to be part of this, this new, uh, this new company going forward as well. So okay, kind of, so they're not they're not putting him aside. No, uh, so part of that too is succession planning. So again, you're going to start seeing that in craft beer is all these pioneers um, don't necessarily have a succession plan or an exit strategy. So uh, Jim Cook is pushing 70 years old. Um, Sam isn't quite 50 uh, from Dogfish Head. So it's uh, there's a very good, very strategically smart that uh, Sam could ultimately take over the entire company here in a few years. I, I think that's possible. And he's all about creative boundary pushing new crazy stuff. Yeah, Sam's rad. He's great. I got to hang out with him in 2009. Um, we, we had dinner together. We brewed some beer together at Sierra Nevada and just told lots of jokes. And he was wearing a, uh, a cool Graham Parsons t-shirt before uh, everyone got all into alt country and started worshiping Graham Parsons. So I was like, man, this guy's ahead of the curve. This guy's all right with me. So again, it's always fun when someone else has good musical taste as well. So, um, but yeah, he was already worth millions and millions of dollars at that point, And he was still just, he just wanted to hang out and drink beer and hear what he wanted to know what was going on in Saskatchewan, you know, like that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I, I never forgot that he's, he's the real deal. Uh, don't get me wrong. He's one of the most powerful people in the brewing industry. He, he's no joke. He, he's very, very serious with what he does and knows his business very, very well. But at the end of the day, he's just another guy. <laughs> 
One of the things you kept touching on is, uh, would I drink a beer with that guy? Would I drink a beer with that person? I think that's really important question because it takes 20, 30 minutes to drink a beer with a person and have a meaningful conversation. I don't have time in my day for that, for knobs to drink beer with anymore. It's tough, and I'm not trying to like slam everyone that was at the Brewing Awards in Toronto, but there was a lot of people there wearing you know suits and all formal wear and like you know and carrying around briefcases and stuff and you know maybe this is just my opinion of it but like craft beer is supposed to kind of leave that that douchey kind of thing behind um again it doesn't mean that we can't be serious and um i can uh I, i'd like to think that i can go behind closed doors and uh and talk talk serious business with all sorts of people and uh and do a lot of good work and win people over that way um but i don't need to wear a suit to do it um i just i don't know i got i left that i left that corporate world because i wanted something different and um so yeah so when you go to other parts of north america and they have brewing awards and stuff everyone's goofy everyone's like dressed up in their favorite like marvel hero costume or like like whatever right it's it's supposed to be it's supposed to be different not just serving up people the same bland version of you know denny's or applebee's or something right like no let's let's do let's do things our own way so I'd love to see more of that. That's where I'm the champ. I'd like to champion that stuff. That's why it's rebellion. That's why I say, you know, let your freak flag fly. That's why I wear stupid clothes and have a stupid haircut. And it's just about blowing away people's notions of normal and successful and how you're supposed to run a business. That's the whole point. I don't take myself very seriously. I really don't. <laughs> just the beer. Yeah, we take our beer very seriously. Our beer is fantastic. I'll put it up against anything, anytime, in a blind taste test. Name the, name the time and place. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, thank you for your time today. It's been great. <laughs> I can talk forever. Rebels, thank you for tuning in this week. If you want to find the latest news about Rebellion Brewing, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped. As always, thank you for joining the Rebellion. <laughs>